folks, it's Omi Shade from the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. For many of you who follow the podcast or follow me on Instagram, you know that I am the mother of two spectacularly kind, funny, intelligent, nerdy, creative sons, Che and Taj. My oldest son, Che, graduated from Howard University in 2015 and was living in the area after he graduated. And one evening he was out for a run after work and he was hit by a car that was being driven by somebody who was inebriated. When I got the call from him saying, Mama, I've been hit by a car. My first thought was, were you driving a car? And he said, no, I was jogging in the crosswalk and this guy ran the stoplight and he hit me. And all of my mother hackles went into overdrive. I was like, I've got to get to DC. Is he really okay? What's happening? What we learned later is that he broke his clavicle, which is your collarbone, and there's nothing much to do but to be immobilized so that way you can heal. So as I was making my way to Washington, D.C. to lay my eyes on my child, one of the first people that I called was Dr. Sunyata Amin of Calabash Tea and Tonic. I told her what was happening, and she said to me, Sis, come by the shop first before you go to Che. I have a little something for him, and I have a little something for you. And that's who Sunyata is. In addition to providing some of the most beautiful, delicious blends of teas and also these fantastic healing tonics, Calabash Tea and Tonics feels like home. It feels like you're returning to a place where people know you, where they see you, where they want to care for you. And as a multi-generational herbalist and homeopathic doctor, that is Sunyana's commitment. So I couldn't think of a better conversation to have around how we continue to heal ourselves. What does it look like to be a black woman business owner who is also committed to her community's wellness and wholeness and not have a conversation with her? Fun fact that some people also know is that my very first intergenerational event was held where? Calabash Tea and Tonic. So I know you all are going to enjoy this conversation with Sunyata and all the things that she shared around her journey and her learning and what it means to be a healer who's also a business owner, who's also committed to the community. This is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, introducing Dr. Sunyata Amin of Calabash Tea and Tonics. Sunyata! How are you? Thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm I'm so happy to do this with you. You have been such a huge, huge cheerleader supporter. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh my goodness, inspiration. What you're doing is so very important mm -hmm. uh, with our voices, and I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm glad. I want to tell folk how we met. So. I guess we met about four years ago. They were doing the Black Women's Roundtable Legislative Day. Yes. And I had come up with the North Carolina Black Women's Roundtable and Spirit House. And we all kind of converged on your Shaw location. And we were kind of hanging out. And you were, you came in 
and was like, hello. <laughs> like it was like you knew us. Welcome home. Hello. Village. Village is village. You know your own people when you see them. You know magical people. I was like, yes, thank you for coming to my house. It <laughs> took such good care of us. We didn't want to leave. We were like, we're supposed to be back over. You, know? you guys were singing. Yep. We had sing-alongs. Everything was great. <laughs> Absolutely. That was fantastic. And so we it just kind of stuck from that moment. And then Later that year, Che, my oldest Che was still living in DC. He got hit by that car, remember? Yes. He was going for a jog after work and was running through the crosswalk. And this guy had been drinking and he hit him at 35 miles an hour, just went wham. I called you and I was like, Che just got hit by a car. And you were like, okay, mama, slow down. I, was, I mean, I know you were panicked. It's it would panic any mother. I was like, but, you may get on yeah. the road, and you were like, no, 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 slow down, take a nap, then get on the road. <laughs> Come here first. I will put together something for your baby and for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Taj and I showed up at Calabash in the morning, and you had put together all these anti-inflammatory teas and tinctures for Chase, so for his soft mm-hmm. tissue. Um, and something for your nerves. And you gave me a shot for my nerves. And you, yes. gave, you gave Taj a, a multivitamin shot that he did not appreciate, but he loved <laughs> hot chocolate. <laughs> he was like, we got to we got to do that and then follow it up with the hot chocolate. Like, you, thank you for taking the tonic. Now, here's your, you know. <laughs> it's like, this tonic is disgusting, but the hot chocolate is amazing. Delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> so, you know. He's a forever fan, and he kept oh, the coffee cup top where you wrote Calabash Love on it. He yeah, kept it for the longest time in his bedroom. So. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, we give a love message to everyone on the top. Yeah, that's different, and that's so sweet that he kept that. That and means a lot to me. I'm glad we met through that event, and then I'm glad we were able to still connect. And community is so important, and that's why is it no matter what happens and it's the extension of us, even our children our parents, anything that we're ready to step in. That's right. That's right. And so we've stayed connected since then, you know, you are my go-to place when I want to send somebody some love, especially since the pandemic has been going on. And I know I can't get to my people to hug them and love up on them as they go through a lot of different things. I immediately hit you up and say, Sunyata, I need to send somebody yes. love. And you're like, and I send all the people in your area to you. I'm like, this is who you need to talk to for resources, for healing, for spiritual support, for community. This lady knows everybody and you need to be connected. So it's, it's beautiful when we can make those uh, connections because our village is more modernly extended beyond our church home or our town or our city or area. We're now connected in a way that we never were before because of what we're doing right here, like internet possibilities. That's right. Well, you are actually truly a global person um, because I know your history and, and your family story, but I would love for you to talk about your background and and the path that led to you choosing the path of the healer or naturopathic doctor. And also you are a multi-generational herbalist, what, fifth, sixth, seventh generation herbalist. So so focus (laughs) on who you are. So tell us about yourself, Sunyata. I appreciate that. 
as far as choosing a path for healing, that's double-edged, right? They say before you come to the earthly plane, our ancestors indigenously believe that you choose your path. You choose your parents. They choose you. You choose the work you're going to do. And your job is just discovering what that medicine is that you bring to the village. Because everybody has a medicine to bring to a village, whether it is an art form that you do, technical form that you do, whatever it is, that's a medicine, right? And you're, you have to deliver it. So I feel like I didn't have a choice in a way. <laughs> um, number one, because I took on this work. And then the other thing is growing up in this arena of wellness as an industry. My dad owned a health food store, actually three locations in Harlem and in Queens. And those herb shops, juice bar, wellness spaces, you know, I was the girl behind the counter that couldn't even see behind the counter yet. And I was bagging herbs. You know, I had the, I had the fingers that were stained with the uh, golden seal and turmeric, you know, so, mm-hmm. so now that there are billion dollar industries like Whole Foods and, and all these other places and, and there's modern interest, you know, everybody's drinking turmeric or matcha or this or that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's great. We also need to understand that that's, its own form of colonization of, of things that we've already been doing. So within this wellness space, I've seen it go because I'm now an auntie. I've achieved auntie status. <laughs> From being a child to being the age I am now, I've seen a transition happen. And I'm glad that that's the case. And it's my honor to be in that space, have grown up in that space and be in that space. Calabash, which is our business, Calabash Tea and Tonic, we started out as this extension of what our parents were doing already. But what I wanted to do was create a less Spartan space, a less go in and grab your herbs or your juice, or whatever, and make it a sexy space. Mm-hmm. I felt like wellness needed to be moved out of Birkenstocks and and put into stilettos, you know, and it needed to be glamorous. It needed to be sexy. It needed to be sassy. It needed to have names that appeal to us and that we understood that this is not all just granola crunchy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I grew up in those spaces, digging in the bulk bin as a kid, you know, getting the granola and the nuts and the and the herbs out. But this also needs to modernly be an alternative to like bars mm-hmm. and places where we feel like alcoholic drinks are our meeting spaces or other kinds of behavior like that. And not that having a drink here and there is not great, but we also understand that within our community as people of color and as we age, that our habits have to be different, that we need to move it along. And then we see the results when we hit menopause. We see the results as we get older in our bone density and health. So my job is really to make the spaces sexy, make them appealing, and then take us in that journey from childhood, just like when kids come in and they're like, okay, I don't know about this tonic. And then you see that they start liking it because they're decolonizing their tongues. They're moving beyond salt and sweet and sweet and sour. Mm-hmm. It's just salt, sweet, sour all the time. They're now moving into other parts of their tongue that don't typically get stimulated. So that's our job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you shared with me about your indigenous roots and your West Indian roots. And I would love for yes. you to, to talk a little bit more about how your family traditions and you do make it sassy. I want to be very clear. <laughs> never seen Sunyata, um, honey, hubba hubba. You need to. <laughs> I just want to be. I'm a reflection of your perfection. That's all. 
when I see you, I'm like, this lady right here reminds me to get myself together today. I can't be ashy. I got to be classy. Let me get it together. <laughs> so, I, will take that. I will take that, but be clear, be clear. We are the queen. I'm bowing to her. She's the queen. Um, so with, with regard to indigenous roots, my father's family is from northernmost North Carolina, southernmost Virginia, so much so that depending on the timeline you look at it toggled between the states, um, the colonization of those states. And those are Meharan people and Choan people from that region mixing in with the Black folk. And it's an interesting story because those are Black people of color in that area who were free people of color. I should say free people of color who included Black folks who intermingled with Native American folks, and they're, of course, white folks, and they got to get their foot in there. So what <laughs> happens is those traditions got preserved in the process instead of rubbed all the way out, which happened in a lot of places. That just goes to show that autonomy of self creates the situation where we're able to hold on to herbal traditions, healing traditions, spiritual traditions that we still keep. My grandmother was burning sage and doing stuff like that, and and that makes a difference. Salting the front door when you didn't want certain people at the door. You know, just all of that. There are so... Absolutely. Yeah. My, my, my grandmother, used to, she would do salt. She would also do sulfur. Yep. Yep. Certain herbs you wouldn't plant near the door, certain trees you would. It's very fascinating how we keep and hold those traditions. And then this autonomy shows itself in my Caribbean roots as we talk about the Maroons in Jamaica primarily, where these people of color, primarily Black folk and indigenous Arawak people, combine forces and through colonies of the Spanish. So we have to start with the Spanish. People think of Jamaica as, a, as an English-speaking place and an English commonwealth or colony. But at first, for like 300 years, 275 or so, it was Spanish. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have places like Ocho Rios and Montego Bay. And you know, there's so many things that are still named with Spanish names, Spanish River, like all kinds of stuff. And we have lots of Spanish last names that get switched over mm -hmm. um, to get anglicized. And so in the process of that, what happened is the Spanish said, oh, these black folks are crazy. And they <laughs> they called them the cimarrones, which means the wild ones. So what happened is when the white folks who were enacting slavery took our four parents from West Africa, they took the str really strong people. They took folks who were very able-bodied. And that's a double-edged sword, literally, because when they got those people to Jamaica, those folks congregated mm -hmm. and overthrew and literally used swords, machetes for their freedom. So running into those hills and creating their own villages and colonies preserved the medicine, preserved their relationship with the Arawak people, the Carib Indians, mm -hmm. hence the name Caribbean that were there. And it fossilized in a way, preserved mm -hmm. our herbal relationships. Jamaicans are just really famous all over the world for their understanding of herbs. And that includes food because of food is our medicine. So if I say to you, I just no tea, no shade, pun intended. But if we say, oh, we're going to go to a Barbadian restaurant or we're going to go to an Antiguan restaurant, you might be like, I don't know what that food, but we say we're going to a Jamaican restaurant. You're like, oh, I got it. I know exactly what I'm having. And that has so much to do with Jamaica being a brand 
you know, music wise, culture, dress, clothing, food. I mean, Jamaica gave rise to hip hop, Mm -hmm. punk, I mean, you name it, right? Ska, like all these musical forms, because that's all interconnected in our autonomy Mm -hmm. from the maroon colonies. And so when we look at these different sets of people, which I have the honor and privilege of belonging to, I see that our ability to hold on to those has to do with our congregating in villages where we're supporting ancestral possibilities. So when we look at the Gullah people, we look at the Geechee people, we look at parts of New Orleans, we look at, there's that connectivity to the Caribbean and there's that we are holding on to our seasonings, our traditions, our okra, our tomatoes, our peanuts. Those things wouldn't even be in the United States. You wouldn't have no grit nor gravy if it, <laughs> if it weren't for us. And so also our understanding of, like you said, sulfur at the door or salt or sweeping at certain times or using Florida water in the corners or you know, just all of the things that we do are rooted in that. And so what happens at Calabash is that it's our job to remind modern people and reconnect them with indigenous ways of healing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you walked us through this really important understanding of the connective tissue in our African and indigenous ancestry from the Caribbean to the United States, because you do see that, you know, as somebody who's grown up in Eastern North Carolina in an area that is primarily a really rural area. You you see a lot of the herbal remedies. You see people doing the same thing to protect themselves spiritually and energetically. And I love when you see that happen. You know, my oldest son, Che, his dad's side of the family, West Indian, they're from Jamaica. So I see the same thing in his grandparents and his great-grandparents and right. the ways in which like, oh, this feels so familiar to me, even though I grew up in North Carolina, they were in Jamaica or in Staten Island, New York. So I love to see the connective tissue. I knew of you before I met you. Oh, wow. Yes, really? Because you have had a presence around body and body movement. You've had a presence around Yoni and Yoni steaming and the Yoni verse. So there's some people who are like, oh, Calabash. Calabash is a new thing. I'm like, no, it's not. And I, I, I think of you as the quintessential market woman where you're like, huh, these are my gifts. This is my offering to the community from my altar. These are my words, not yours. And this is how I am continuing to shape shift in ways that feels, one, obedient to what spirit is asking you to do, but two, also being very observant and staying relevant to what our community needs. I want you to tell us a little bit about your journey as a business owner that has been grounded in your healing arts and healing practices. That's a great question. Um, I appreciate you saying that about being in that Yoniverse for a long time. And I started teaching sexual Kung Fu, sexual Tai Chi in 1991. That would be 30 years years ago. (laughs) You don't have to say that. I'm saying that Um, only not to age you, which aging you is not a problem because I know you embrace your age. But I'm saying that because there are some folk who sometimes 
think that people have magically appeared on the scene out of nowhere. That's absolutely true. And I'm always cautious about ancient arts in new hands. So I'll start by saying that mastery cannot be microwaved. Mm -hmm. And there is a process in our culture where you've put the time in, you've studied with elders. This is something that you that we owe our community the respect of having learned something for real. I dare say, and this is just fact, I'm not wanting to just toot my own home to, to, to bloviate, but bringing the word Yoni to Black people specifically in our consciousness was something that I did. Um, and the reason I say that is not that I invented that word, but having taught those classes and brought that word and told people, you know, it's a video from back then too that, that we have and said to folks, this is better than all the other things you call this thing or other people call you around, objectify you around your wombhood. And that we take that power, we assert that power ourselves by calling this a sacred space, by calling it something that actually sounds very delicious, <laughs> like a delicious fruit. And it is. And it is. Yes, and it is. And we have the ability to brand it that way. And I'm really proud. So it's not like just tooting my own, but I'm very proud when I hear people use it to children to say, hey, all right, you know, get in the tub, wash that yoni. I mean, you know, it's, I love when they use it to elders. I love when we are just using it conversationally. And I don't necessarily need to push myself forward that way as much to say, I'm really proud that this is where we're going with claiming our sacred feminine nature. So those classes are still near and dear to my heart. And the whole idea of Yoniverse and Yoniversity, which actually we own those trademarks and copyrights, it's something that I'm glad that we've circled back to thinking of ourselves in those sacred spaces. And just like I said, you know, with the 30 years, I was kind of joking, but it's only because, you know, I didn't think that I needed to mark that time in that way. But I am so proud to be in eldership. I am very proud to be at the space where I am. Some of us didn't make it to here. I have lots of friends around. We've survived this far through so many things, including crack being pushed in our communities, including growing up in New York City, you know, including the AIDS crisis, including, I mean, just so many things there, but for the grace of the mm -hmm. goddess, I am. And so I... I'm very grateful that we're at this space where we're able to influence and then help people move forward. I wanted to lift up that because you and I have had conversations as older Black women in our 50s who are clear about our forever identity as a student. So yes, their mastery does arrive with perspective, with years, with experience. And we're also really clear that we are still students of someone else. Our ability to call our teachers names, our ability to talk about our lineage and the lineage that we are an extension of, the lineage that you are an extension of as an herbalist, as a naturopath, as a healer. And I brought up Yoni and Yoniverse specifically because it is very much now a ubiquitous thing. It's language that people are familiar with, and there are many different 
folks out there that provide services around Yoni care and Yoni health and all of that. But I also want to remind folks that there are some folks like yourself who were on the vanguard of bringing that information and that language to us. And that's how I first heard of you about the Yoni classes that you were doing, university, and also the, the sensual movement that you were doing for Black women to invite us to have more bodily autonomy over our personhood and be like, this is your body and your body is sacred and your sensuality and your sexual expression is sacred and your yoni is sacred. And how do you develop or reclaim a stronger relationship, healthy, loving relationship with your yoni? And so I wanted to to lift that up because it feels important to mark that, especially because you are a market woman. I think about visual in my mind when I think of the market woman and the market woman is she's crafty, she's respected, Mm -hmm. she's hardworking. She's always paying attention to the ecosystem that she operates in, but she's not always supported the way she deserves to be supported. No, not always. (laughs) And I've found that to be the case. I've had the blessing of having some amazing students over the years. And then I've also had the challenge of having people who were not really ready, in my estimation, to leave student service and teach. And and it showed. And I'll say this to say that, just take it back to what you were saying with regard to marketplace culture in our traditional, we see that in the South a lot. We see that in the Caribbean. We see it in South America. We see it because this is Africa mm-hmm. East that we that we function in as Black folk. And marketplace women, what they're amazing at is invention. So when people say necessity is the mother of invention, what to me they're really saying is Black women are the mothers of invention right. because we we have to figure it out. A marketplace woman has to figure out every little thing from how her stall is set up, where she's marketing to trends. People want this. They don't want that. People need to know this. They don't need to know that. And you got to give people what they want in order to give them what they need. So we also learn how to feed our community, whether it's mind, body or spirit, by sliding in that little bit of sugar, a little bit of honey or whatever it is inside with the knowledge marketplace women have more more problems mm-hmm. than a preacher. And so I pride myself on seeing those trends. And this is no different in terms of what we do at Calabash, seeing that people want to hang out in bars and that the bars became more loungy as time went on. It wasn't like a sleazy place to hang out or, you know, a pool hall, that it became the alternative to where people would intermingle and communities. So we see these trends, we move in those spaces. We we are able to then offer classes that also, you know, when we talk about reclaiming that femininity, my job is to say, well, you know, sometimes when you were a child, you you know, you put your hand on your hip and you let your backbone slip. And then there was something that happened right when you started, when many of us started to enter puberty, where we were, uh, that adolescent hood, we were told to stop switching Stop putting your hand on your hip. Who do you, th- you know, you think you, you putting your hand on your imagination and also just our dancing a lot of times. Stop dancing mm-hmm. like that. Oh, don't move your booty like that or get, you know, get yourself together. That's, you know, you showing your color or whatever. Right. And we're then 
dulled down or here's this latex to put on to hold everything in place so nothing jiggles or this bra to train your titty. I don't think breasts need training. They they know, know what, what they're, they're doing. doing. They right? do. Now they, they, you know, they shape shift over time. So they will also inform you what I was doing last year. I'm not doing this year. <laughs> well, here's the thing. In our tradition, shape shifting is magic. It's magic to be able to take forms and shapes. You're looking at me, the people can't say, but you're looking at me on camera. I didn't look like this 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I shifted shape. You wouldn't recognize the face you saw. So I, I want to say that we are the masters of that. Marketplace women are the masters of shape shifting. Mm. We are the vanguards of what is to come. And even when I'm seeing my farmers who are in other countries who send us herbs and coffees and teas and turmeric and ginger, these are 90% run by women of color. These hands of color are touching our foods and our trends and pulling them forward to the United States or wherever else it is. And this, as we think about it, is the entire reason these these foods that we crave, these, these new flavors, these things are also very germane to us in our traditions. And if we think about it, the whole reason why people of color were, their land was stolen on this side of the Americas in the so-called new world, and people were brought from Africa to farm these lands for free for hundreds of years is it because of Europe's taste for mm-hmm. food. It, it's, it revolves around mm-hmm. food. So it's sugar in Jamaica, the plantations that people, and in Brazil, it's um, okras, it's the tomatoes, it's the, and then as we start getting into the cotton, it's the gin, it's the, so these are foodstuffs, it's the rice farms, it's the, you know, so we have to look at that we are agrarian people who are grounded in the earth, and we have been farming in the Americas by force, and now it's time for us to re-examine our relationship with those things, with salt, with sugar, with rice, with starches, with, right, and say, those things were once why we were enslaved. Are they still enslaving Mm -hmm. us? How's our Mm -hmm. health? Like, are we still having these relationships with these foods that we need to Mm -hmm. re-focus? This is powerful. And with our movements, do we need to then move our hips and feel sensual and be okay with embracing that? Do we need to be able to have our breasts jiggle? You know, titties jiggle, they jiggle. And are we okay with that? And just having parts of our body that are jiggly bits as we shape shift and change and that that's attractive in and of itself to us. It makes us feel good not to be locked down in latex all day. And how is our relationship with that? Are we okay with that? You know, and and I dare say we should be. And so in teaching yoga and teaching belly dance over the years, it was a way to get women to unlock the circle of the hips and go back to childhood as you get older, that this is going to serve you through cycling in your everyday menstrual cycle. And then as you're shifting into menopause, this juiciness that you deserve to have, it means movement. The movement is that medicine. So all of it is part and parcel. There's no way to separate mind, body, and spirit. There's no way to separate the food from the physical medicine in our tradition. Let me ask you a question about your menopausal journey. You know, I know that you and I are in the, um, the same generational footprint of 
the cuspy Gen Xers, right? We are we are the that generation of folk who were born right after boomers. And so we're we're in that little cuspy area and came up in the 70s and the 80s in the era of hip hop and R&B and all these things. Um, and I know you play multiple roles in your family uh, as daughter, as mother, you know, as all these things. And so I'm just curious about your own personal journey with menopause and the things that you've learned about yourself as a market woman, as a healer, as a healing practitioner, as you navigate menopause personally? I love that question. And the amount of folks who come to me about the herbs they need to take and about the symptoms that they're experiencing is exponential because we only Mm -hmm. get older. So no one is not getting older unless your time on the mortal coil has shifted and you're on the other side of the ancestry. Yeah, I say that all the time. It's like either you're getting older or you've made your transition. Right. So pick a right. struggle. Right. <laughs> so because we're still here, because we're persevering through and we're enjoying ourselves doing it, or we deserve to enjoy ourselves. And when I started to look at the fact that I didn't have any of those symptoms. I had no flashy, no dryness, no, you know, so I was thinking what is going on? And it had so much to do with the food, the movement, the, the attitude of it, making sure that there were supplements, you know, medicinal things that we do traditionally. And I look at like Japanese women, Central and South American women, they don't even have a word. Not, it's not really a word for menopause, like in their vocabulary, because they're, habits, you know, their food and movement habits just are different. You're carrying water on your head. Your hips have to sway in order not to crush your Mm -hmm. spine. You are squatting all the time, you know, and even in the marketplace, you're squatting down, doing what you're doing. I mean, even if you go get your nails done, you see these ladies squatting down, painting your toenails. You're like, whoa, you're down there for like Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. But you got to think about this. You're sitting. They're squatting. All right. So this is a traditional way that indigenous people do things that the hips are affected, the medicine is affected, all of it. And when I see those symptoms, I understand that something is awry. We, we just need to look at it as a, as a holistic mm-hmm. perspective because I didn't experience any of that. I have no perspective on that personally, but I see it all the time. And then the minute that we make those transitions, I see it clear up. It's so easy to clear up too. It's not like, oh, I didn't eat that great growing up or I, I haven't, I'm just new on this health journey. I've seen people change that in a month mm-hmm. or two. So it's it's worth making the little, the smaller transitions that will put us at comfort mm-hmm. and at ease and slide us into that sensuality that we really deserve mm-hmm. at these ages. Hey, y'all. I hope you are enjoying this latest episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. Before we continue with this episode, I wanted to bring a word from our sponsor. Before I started working with Kendra, I asked them to share more about themselves and their values. And here's what they had to say. We started Kendra with a seemingly simple mission, empower people who are experiencing the hormonal changes of menopause to care for their bodies naturally, safely, and holistically. And what does that look like? Plant-powered estrogen-free essentials that do what they promise. Kendra is science-backed support made by women and tailored to you. And I love hearing all of that because I wouldn't want to partner with anyone or any entity that is not natural, safe, and holistic in their approach. 
Kendra's line of peri, minnow, and post essentials includes a daily vaginal lotion that has a revolutionary reusable applicator that dramatically relieves vaginal dryness, a sleep-enhancing supplement, an energy-boosting supplement, and a dynamic daily wellness supplement, all thoughtfully designed to target and relieve any of the physical manifestations we have along this menopausal journey that sometimes includes hot flashes, brain fog, and mood swings. Kendra has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers or subscribers, you get 20% off anything you wish. To get 20% off your first order or subscription, go to our Kendra.com slash Omi20. That's our Kendra.com slash Omi, O-M-I, 20 to get your discount today. In your family, were there conversations about Aging, I think about, my mom was a nurse. I've said this several times during the podcast. As a marker for me, talk to my sister and I in preparation for our cycle, right? So she very much was like, this is what's going to happen to your body. This is your body. It's important for you to know that no one should touch your body without your permission. And what's happening to you is natural. What I felt like did not happen as an explicit conversation was around the change, the change that you go through, whether you have any physical symptoms or not, not everybody does. It's a full spectrum. But I wonder if there were conversations that you either had explicitly or got to kind of bear witness to inside your own family around getting older as a person who identifies as a woman. These are great questions. I feel like so many of us didn't hear enough from our female elders about their experiences in childhood, whatever traumatic things happened, whatever things that were even great that happened. It's just, there's this lockdown on our feminine Mm -hmm. aspect that is literal, like a, you know, like the girdle that you're forced to get Mm -hmm. into the, the bra, the tight ass bra, you know, that all of that, there's a lot that don't move your hips like that. Stop sashaying, stop, stop Mm -hmm. switching. That's too much movement. And then there's a lockdown of information psycho-spiritually that sometimes you get older and you didn't know that you're grandmother had fibroids or you didn't know that, you know, someone had a hysterectomy or you didn't know they just were female troubles. You know, it's like, what does that mean? That could be a lot of different things. It could be anything. And it's also a harbinger of what could be to come for you, but you just weren't even prepared because nobody told you any stories. So this is an opportunity for us to be more candid with our children, grandchildren, the village in general of young people around us. And it can be fun. It can be great. I've had kids in my classes. People have put their daughters who are 12, 13, 15, 16 in my classes on sexual Kung Fu or, or university or whatever. And of course it may alter my language just the tiniest bit to see their little sweet faces that are still fat and have milk in it. But but the truth is that the information remains the same. And in a traditional context, your rites of passage as a young lady who you would get imparted lots of information about your own cycle, about how 
your body moves and how things change, what to anticipate, all of that would your rites of passage would have been at 12, 13, 14, 15. And that's missing. So I'm happy to see those folks and I'm happy to make it fun and not anything like super fearful, like, oh no, you know, I'm gonna fall apart at the seams. No, it's good. I love that. I love that. You do carry quite a bit on your shoulders. Right. <laughs> you said, aha, a lot of different roles that you play, sister, a lot of different roles. And so, um, and, I, and you are a hardworking tourist woman too. So we know that you're going you gonna to keep it moving slow and steady, slow and steady. But I do wonder how you, the commitments that you've made to your own, yourself, how are you balancing the roles you play? the roles of mother, the roles of business owner, the roles of community advocates. So much of the work that you do at Calabash, I don't know if folk realizes that not only does Calabash feed you physically, spiritually, but also it is a space of like social justice work, you know, where events are held, people, it's a gathering place. It is, it is a marketplace to be sure. Our very first Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause event was held at Calabash Tea and Tonics in Brooklyn. So I know that you are conscientious of that, but I also know you're a human being. And so I'm wondering, what? I'm a human being. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) It's now it's going to be an announcement. It's like, announcement. Sunyata from Calabash is a human being. Did you know that? Nobody thinks that. This is part of our superwoman station as marketplace people, as leaders in our community. Business activism is very important to me. I feel like if your business is not serving your community, not inviting young people to learn things, not inviting elders, like everyone should be in there from eight weeks old to to 108 years old or beyond, right? Everyone should feel comfortable in that space, be invited in that space, the skinniest person in a village, the largest person in a village, everybody in between. And the reason is because you cannot have village space without all of those parameters. It would be stagnant. You, No one would learn anything, including me. We have to sit at the feet of those elders. And sometimes those elders come in form of children who are back again to show you something. This tends to be, if I dare say, one of the things I deal with that I struggle with is being all the things to all the people all the time. And I got to tell you, I had to make peace with that when people said to me, well, what do you do to take time for yours? I don't. Like, I don't. I would say that, you know, watching sci-fi, reading some Octavia Butler, sometimes that's it. Or I listen to a podcast while I walk to work. I have to put shift time and space. When we talked about being shapeshifters and time shifters, we are amazing. And that 25 minute walk to work is like a vacation Mm -hmm. to me. (laughs) And I had to come to terms with the fact that in my mind, we're given chapters, like each year is a chapter that we have. You may have 80 chapters, 90 chapters, allowable. And in that time, when you're on this side of this journey, this one that you're in, you can have many in my estimation and the way that I was raised. This particular book that has this many chapters, I'm going to get as much in as I can. And I have to be okay with that. I'm not saying that's for everybody. This dance is not for everybody. Only the sexy. (laughs) 
like Morris Day said. So you have to be a certain age to even I know that it. reference. <laughs> I love it. And so not everybody should do that. But I will tell you that when I'm sitting absolutely still is in the morning when I'm having my tea, I sit in my considering chair, just like my great grandmother would do. Sorry, and that in your what? Considering, considering chair. chair. Well, I used to see my great grandmother in Jamaica sitting on her porch, who was the village healer of her village, a very wise herbalist. And she would sit, it's like 5 a.m., the cock is crowing outside and she's sitting on the veranda because we don't have porches in Jamaica. We have verandas and she's sitting there in her chair, just with her tea, just looking out, you know, feeding birds or whatever. And I would say, well, what are you doing? And she said, may I consider <laughs> meaning like I'm just sitting here considering. <clears throat> so when I look at that, I have now moved into an eldership space where I have that considering time with my tea and then I have that walk to work. So that may be only like 40 to 40 minutes to an hour that I have to myself, but I get more done like the army. I get more done in that time than people do all day. Like that is a powerful time to stand still and just receive like a radio, just the signals you're supposed Mm -hmm. to get filter those into what you can handle and then move forward. And I have to be okay with that because if I sit still any longer than that, I'm itchy. I get it. I love it. You need to get you a consider. I'm going to send you a chair. I love that because I I think I do a lot of considering in my kitchen and looking out the window. I get myself my calabash tea. We have a big bowl of calabash teas and I pick which tea that I want for the morning. So this I oh yes, that. this morning I made my my black magic woman, and I add my, yes. my little bit of honey in there, and I look at my backyard and I watch the robins and the blue jays, and and I think that's where I do some considering. But I would love a considering chair. So you, so I'm gonna hold you to that. I'm sending you a chair. Expect a big ass box <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> so here's the thing. Look at how parallel this is that our elders sit on the porch, they sit on the veranda, they look out at nature. When I'm sitting in my considering chair, I'm looking at my plants, what I call the jungalo, like all the plants in the window and they're tropical plants. And I'm looking at these plants and I'm just receiving energy. It's the secret life of plants. We must connect to the birds, the trees, all of that thing in order to receive. Those are, those are sending signals through to us. Uh, my great-grandmother used to say that when your spirit or your body is off, it is the plant that brings you back to homeostasis. So that's why we take those medicines. That's why we have tonics and teas and and things that we take. It's the plant that will bring you right back because the plant has a relationship with the sun, with earth, with water, that if we retune ourselves, we're feeling better. So that's all tea is. Tea is that substance that has absorbed the nature that we should be getting, that we don't always get. And it's channeling us back to that balance. I have two more questions for you. One is you've got this fantastic term that you've been using more and more consistently over the past year, which is decolonize your tongue. Decolonize your tongue. And I, you know, I had a chance to um, pop in and listen to a conversation that you had on Clubhouse. It was fantastic. This is where I see 
the identity that you move with as an anthropologist and a historian, right, that undergirds food sovereignty and land and helps people understand our journey and our history as people of African descent, as people of color. So I'm really interested in you sharing more with our listeners around what you mean when you say decolonizing our tongue. And if you were to make suggestions for folk who are on this aging journey, whether they're having any kind of physical symptomologies or not, things that you would say, listen, here's some considerations for you that you might want to incorporate into your dietary practices or your, or your day. Our decolonization is pivotal in general, uh, the way we think about things, our everyday lives. And just like, let's just use, say using a bra, for example, or always needing to be dressed a certain way, or even our relationship with education, that if you don't have a bunch of letters behind your name, you may not know what you're talking about. This is all the things that we've been fed, especially in America, as the child of Europe. America is very much the child of Europe. And we sometimes need to disconnect from culture class issues and expectations that hold us from our mm-hmm. traditions. So saying that's just, you know, your grandmother putting salt at the door, that's so superstitious or that's a, these are our traditions. They deserve consideration and our herbal traditions deserve consideration. There's no way for us to have a healthy psycho-spiritual life, whatever that looks like, even a return to in more indigenous ways of seeing nature as our spirituality without having that relationship with nature, even in our own bodies. So decolonizing our tongue has a lot to do with the fact that our taste buds are, you know, sweet and salty, sour, sweet, salty, sour. What about Mm -hmm. bitter? You know, what about earthy? What about when something tastes like dirt? I I love beets because they're so earthy. Mm -hmm. Right. So what happens when we taste just turmeric as it is, or we taste beets, like you mentioned, or we're tasting bitters, what we call bitters in Jamaica, which this is something that's going to stimulate bile, stimulate the liver, stimulate our urinary tract. Like this all has to do with our health. There are so many surfaces literally on our tongue that are waiting to Mm. receive flavors. And those flavors directly affect our organs' abilities Mm. to function. But we don't do that because our colonization has taught us the people who were pretty much slave owners, right? Their desire for sugar or salt or whatever, lemon, you know, whatever it is. And it, it's a very small set of flavoring. It's a very small set of acceptable foods and ways to enjoy it. Knife and fork. What about your hands? You know, create a relationship with the food that you're touching it. It's it, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Using things that only go in your pot normally, the the oils, the whatever on your skin, in your hair. This is the way that we function: is we use what's around us on the exterior part, interior, and anything that you wouldn't eat, you shouldn't put on your skin. I mean, that's just the way we live, right? And so, as we talk about aging, our connectivity to those those herbs, those roots, those foods are pivotal. So as a great example for menopause and menopausal symptoms, wild yams are traditionally a food that women of age would eat 
or mash and make tonics, whatever the case is. And let's think about the fact that the word yam is an African borrow mm-hmm. word, right? It comes from mm-hmm. yam, which is the yam itself, the cassava or the yuca or the malanga or the taro, whatever those roots are, those traditional roots, or uh, some people mm-hmm. call yuca, right? Cassava is sometimes referred to as yuca. And that calling something a yam is from nyam. Even in Jamaica, we still call eating yam, mm-hmm. nyam. To nyam food is mm-hmm. to eat. And especially to eat voraciously mm-hmm. is to nyam. And so when we look at that, we say, wow, you know, so much of our food, the okra that's supposed to keep us juicy as our as we get older and even through pregnancy and beyond, right? And then the yuca, the cassavas, we think about our relationship to darker rices, those black rice, which I love that they call it wild rice. Like, wild, because it's black. <laughs> Why it's gotta be wild? <laughs> so it's just rice. So just how those things are supposed to be in our diet and they aren't always present in the way they should be prepared. And then the volume of preparation and the too much salt, too much this, too much, you know, so when we look at that relationship, decolonizing our food and saying, okay, I got, I feel for French fries, or I feel like some kind of starch, let's reach back to the yams we need and we get the medicine we need and the hormone balance we need, and we get a delicious food that is not super high in starch. It has protein. It has something binding it. And that creates a different relationship because the minute we start getting into super starchy things, white rice, white sugar, white flour, white yams, you know, white potatoes, this means that we're moving into diabetic, pre-diabetic conditions, which of course is anti-aging. This is not what we want. Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. I was just thinking, as you said, there are taste buds on my tongue that are waiting to be activated, that are missing something. And I was literally kind of letting my tongue kind of like move around in my mouth. Like that's really true. You know, the opportunity to travel outside of the country and taste different foods wakes up parts of your mouth that have been asleep that you didn't realize. And it, you know, and sometimes it wakes it up in a way where you're just like, this is fantastic. This is marvelous. I have, what did I just experience? And sometimes you're like, this will take some getting used to. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just habit, right? It's just habit. Um, This is one of the reasons I think Thai food ate Chinese foods dinner right? Like Thai food drank its milkshake. Thai food has become popular and ubiquitous. And Chinese, you can may not remember the last time you had Chinese food, but Chinese was the big thing, like 70s, 80s, like 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Because of the United States relationship with China. Then, now here's the one I love, Laotian food. So good. That has a funk to it, an underfunk earthiness that is like Thai food took a holiday in a much more black area in the South side. And it just comes off differently because it contains those same very Southern tropical flavorings that we're like, whoa, I was missing this funk in my food. And that's as we said, I think Laotian's the next craze as we talk about marketplace women, I would bet on Laotian food. It's now going to take that colonized Thai because the Thai has just gone into this 
very uh, plain area, it used to wake your tongue up. It, this is the next thing to wake tongues up. I see African restaurants on the rise. I see Brazilian restaurants. Like there are more flavors that are becoming available to us as people move to this country and as immigrants and political refugees start opening restaurants. Look at Ethiopian mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. That was not a thing in the 80s and 90s. It became a thing. And so now those flavors, those bitter of uh, beans, you know, the lentils, the peppery, the earthiness, the bread yeah. itself. I mean, it's just a different love flavor. It. It's sour. It's sour. sour. It's it is sour. sour. I love it. And I, introducing that to Taj, she was like, this bread, the, the consistency, the sponginess of it in Jira, right? And it's, and it's yes. also sour to taste. And he's like, oh, I said, but once you grab these lentils with it, combination of right. the sour and that lentil is just. On that plate, that one plate, you have all the things in the tongue. There's the, I mean, it's just all there for you. And that just shows you the brilliance of Africa and how when you look at Ethiopian women and you look at them in their 50s, 60s, I mean, you're like, is this an infant? <laughs> Who is this? And that's because the digestive health is there because of the, the fermentation of the bread. Um, injera is also gluten-free because the, the teff, the flour is gluten-free. So it's amazing that this is balanced. And this is because of ancestry. When we talk about the knowledge of women and, and the knowledge of herbs and our cooking, you know, it, it's brilliant. That's right. It is brilliant. If you were to give a word of advice to younger women, but also sisters who are older, who are considering opening a business or pivoting a business, you know, I, I think that it is a really powerful thing to see sisters who are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s to be like, I'm going to start a business. What would be advice that you would give? Because I've I've watched you over the time period that I didn't know you and the time period that I've known you. And I watch you pivot. I watch you pay attention. Um, I watch you take risks. And I wonder what your advice would be to Black women um, who are entrepreneurs or who are going to be market women. That's a great question. The number one thing I can recommend is be yourself. So do something that is true to yourself, not something that's on trend. When I'm talking about these trends and and visualizing these trends, if this is not something you can imagine yourself doing, whatever it is for your feet aching, your back hurts, you doing it for 12, 13, 15 hours a day, which I often do. I did yesterday and I'm about to do after this. If it is not a love, if it doesn't emanate, you know, my great grandmother said, everybody has a medicine to bring to a village. So if that's your medicine, you will succeed in it, especially if you talk to someone who can advise you and help you think through these smaller details, because you may have a big picture and you need somebody who's been doing whatever else they're doing. It's applicable. They can help you think it through. That's the first thing is ideation. How does this make sense? You might be on the wrong idea. A lot of times I hear from sisters and, oh, I want to open a whatever, right? Shea butter bar. I don't know, whatever, right? And I'm thinking, well, you'll be next to a Whole Foods there's that. There's this. Let me look at the neighborhood. Maybe you were on the wrong side of the mm-hmm. street. 
because people are going to work. They're not going to stop. They need to go on the way home. Like there are just small things that sometimes people, so you need to talk to a successful marketplace person who will say to you, this makes sense. And someone who has cultural awareness, which is rare. Who knows about shea butter? Like besides the French, you know what I mean? And then these other products that are putting shea butter into something. So I'm just using that as an example, right? Like this, you may need to have more offerings so that you have a wider swath and you end up surviving in this business. So if you do need to pivot, you're still in your purview. So my advice is always speak to an elder. And that brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. You have to have, and elders are not just people who are older than you. They're just more experienced in a village than you are. They're older spiritually, or they're older in that particular thing. And you've got to respect that. We have to stop copying each other and trying to do what someone else does and do what is really genuine to you? What is your medicine? Because the truth is that every medicine can be a poison if taken too much. And even poisons are medicines if taken in small quantities. So if you have a medicine to bring to the world and you're not able to release it to people, deliver it, it will poison you. You need to know your gift and give it. Just like what you're doing, Omi, this is a gift your ability to connect to people, your ability to bring women together and people for healing and greater good, you are delivering a message through this. And this is a word that we all need. This is a Sunday sermon or whatever people are listening to it. This is what it is. And so I can tell you feel good about delivering this medicine. And that's why we're supportive of what you're doing. Like me personally, you're my hero. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. I feel like I'm getting ready to tear up because <laughs> we have had a many an offline conversation around eldership, around being a student, around spiritual deference to your lineage, humility, and being clear that you can be inspired, but you also can do your own thing that's unique to you. Yes. We find inspiration in so many people and we look at someone and we go, gosh, really inspired, but sitting down to have that heart-to-heart conversation with someone around their journey can help you think about your journey specific. And I love that. It's like, what is your offering? What are you bringing to the marketplace? To To the the world. world. What are you bringing to the world? What is your gift? And it takes nothing away from us as women of color to go to another woman of color and sit at her Mm -hmm. feet and say, please tell me what you know about this thing that I think I should do. Not what you're doing, what I think I should do. And it may not even be what you're thinking. Sometimes, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times people come to me and I said, that's that's not for you. I don't see that for you, sis. I see mm-hmm. this. And they say, wow, I was thinking about doing that. But then I saw there was a trend on that. I said, that's not for you. So it takes someone who has no vested interest in you failing. This person wants you to succeed. I want all of us on the come up, the whole village. There's enough for all of us. We just have to be true to whatever that is. Well, this brings us to our very last question, which is I have asked every person who has um, gifted me with their story and their energy on the podcast to offer something to the guide. Last year, most of the offerings made their way into the zine, which was messages from the menopausal multiverse. And we we're going to do another zine this year. Punyana, nice. what, would, what would your offering be to folk who are listening to this around 
I, you know, their journey with aging, their their relationship to herbs and plant allies, or decolonizing their tongue. <laughs> well, so surround yourself with other magical beings is the best thing you can do. And that means that we are walking goddesses, literally on earth. We must surround ourselves with people of our ilk. And those people can understand the work you do, the time you put in. They're there to support you, much like you have been there to support me, Omi. And even when I was like, why are these people doing this? Or why, (laughs) you know, and you've been like, I understand. And that is pivotal, is surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals and getting the support that you need. Don't be messing with these. Look, relationships change. That means you have to clean house and you need to pull those folks out of your orbit because you're vibrating at a different rate. And if they're vibrating at 20 and you're vibrating at 60, it's not going to work. And they're slowing you down. You've got to put in those 90 chapters. Each year is a chapter. You got to put in those 108 chapters, right? It's a magic, magical number. And you want each chapter to count because when you're off this mortal coil, when you've pushed to the ancestral realm, you want people to sing songs of what you did. And that song informs the next set of people. It's not because you want to just be a legend. It's because then people take that and move forward, move that, push that work along. So I also just want to say that like anybody, we support your podcast on a on a monthly basis, you know, it, it takes very little for people to do that. I really um, encourage people to do that. Even if it's just 20 bucks a month, 30 bucks, whatever. Look, it's a dollar a day for crying out loud. You can find that in your couch cushions, right? Right. You could, you could spend it a day and you not even remember what you bought on Amazon. You just got a box, you know? So why not support what's going on here because it supports us. So we're surrounding ourselves with this magical sound that Omi is you putting down, right? And in that spirit, anybody who wants to purchase something at our site, I want to give proceeds back to your podcast. Um, so that's above and beyond whatever you know folks are purchasing and I will donate back so they can get a discount. Why don't we do the name of the podcast, the, the, um, BGG two SM, BGG two, the number two SM, and if people enter that, I'm going to give them fifteen percent off anything they're ordering, and any proceeds, any profit from that, I'm going to send right back to this podcast, so that we are supporting our village. Everybody that's bringing a medicine needs support, and that is super give important. Thanks, give thanks. So I will put that in the, the the notes of the podcast so people know how to do yes. that. And I also want people to know how to find you. So tell us your website and your social media handles. That would help, right? For them to purchase the thing. That... <laughs> so it's calabashtea.com. So it's calabash and then tea.com. And it's the same as our social media. The best thing is Instagram to follow us. Lots of videos on there on how to make things from sea moss to tea to whatever new blends we got going on or old ancient stuff or ask questions in our DMs that we really work at being as responsive as possible. Because even when people come in our shop, the first thing we ask is, how can we help to heal you today? And it becomes a healing journey that we get to know the person, they get to know us. And 
that's imperative in our community. It used to be that we had those relationships where we understood, hey, if you come in every Tuesday and tell me you have a headache in the morning, I'm going to be like, what you doing on Monday? (laughs) But I wouldn't know that if I just was at a coffee shop and just throwing coffee in your face. And I'm not saying, hey, you know what, sis? It's four o'clock in the afternoon. If I give you some super caffeinated, I feel like we're going to have a problem tonight. So those relationships are super important. And we continue that even within what's going on in the world right now, just even on our social media, those relationships are there so people can DM us. So if they go to Calabash Tea on uh, Instagram or Facebook, that they'll still I be love connected. It. I, I thank you so much. And you have been such a huge supporter of myself and also my children. And we've been the beneficiaries of the healing magic that you press into these teas and these tonics. It's my pleasure. Your kids are amazing. (laughs) They love you. They love you. And you've also been super responsive, especially in this time of the pandemic where we've had personal friends not well, and we've lost people, people who've made their transition. And I would reach out to you and say, Sunyana, this person is not well. And and you listen with your ear. You have a, a listening ear. And you'll say, who is this person? And what's going on? okay, Omi, no worries. We're going to put something together for them and we'll make sure they get it. Or if somebody's made their transition and I said, I need to send someone a hug. I need, I need them to receive a hug. Yeah. A hug and a mug. Let me send a hug and a mug. Let them sit in their considering chair and think about things for a minute and just gather because we know that we take on so much from other people, our healing, our your work as a death doula. We take on a lot of other people's energy. So sometimes we just need those. We just need a cup of tea. You you know, so it's, we just need to sit down for a minute and think of, we just need a minute because when black women have a minute, <laughs> you're either going to get helped or you're going to get snatched. <laughs> Let me get a minute. I'm going to get one. Com- I'm coming for you one way just or another. Give me a minute. Oh, give right. me. I love it. <laughs> you lucky I don't have time today. You know, we, or I got time. I'm coming over, you know, so it's one way That's or the right. other. I appreciate you so much, beloved. Hey, y'all. I hope you really enjoyed this latest episode of the podcast. Don't forget that we have dropped information around how you can purchase your own delicious teas and tonics from Calabash by providing the link to their website in the notes for this episode. You should definitely use your code BGG, the number two SM, to receive a discount and for those proceeds of what you purchase to come back and support the work that we do at the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, to creating original content, to normalize menopause, centering the voices and stories of Black women, femmes, and non-binary people. We do want to hear from you, so please send us your listener letters. You can send them to Decolonizing the Crone, that's all one word, Decolonizing the Crone at gmail.com and put in the subject line listener letters. To learn more about who we are and what we do and why we do it, check out our website. You can 
purchase merch there. You can purchase our zine there, or you can just follow us and find out what we're up to. We are so excited to be bringing you again, original virtual contact and content as we prepare ourselves for our first event of 2021. It's called Love Rage Spooks and Specters Adventures in Black Storytelling and we get to co-host it with the amazing Amber J. Phillips. We've got some phenomenal guest host storytellers and you do not want to miss this. Check out our website and follow for more details. Once again, we are always glad to have your support. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you are interested in making a monetary contribution, you can do so through Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal. Check the description box. Or you can consider becoming a monthly sustainer through our Patreon. All of the information is provided to you below. Thanks again for your listening. Thanks again for your support. And we will see you soon on the dark side of the moon.